Hi, hello, bonjour, and namaste. This is Out of the Clouds, a podcast at the crossroads between business and mindfulness. And I'm your host, Anne Militala. Today, I am thrilled to welcome Tal Zor as my guest. Tal is an industrial designer and a teacher based in Tel Aviv. She is also the co-founder of the IOTA Project, a startup with the goal or mission to create social impact through design. And their technology, or rather their technique, the one powering the project is crochet. I had the pleasure of meeting Tal briefly in person when she and I attended an innovation conference in Geneva a few months back. And I was very taken with the project, the product, and with Tal. And hopefully you're going to feel the same way I feel as you discover her and the wonderful work that is behind the IOTA project. So in our conversation, Tal tells me how she became an industrial designer. She also studied curatorship and pâtisserie. Yes. (laughs) How she chose to stop working in fashion and the serendipitous connection that she made with her co-founder, Shula Moses, who brought her the idea of crochet. Tal tells me about how she got inspired from an exhibition at the ICA in Boston, and that's how she had the vision of working with crochet, but on a different scale. Tal also shares with me how crochet is like a design language, and that's one of the reasons that she's able to work with communities of women that work remotely and in their own time. We talk about what it's like to make this luxury high-end product with a tolerance for mistake. We also discuss how she approaches her life as an entrepreneur and a mother of three and the things that keep her grounded, including the meditative qualities of crocheting. So without further ado, I give you my wonderful conversation with Tal Zor. Enjoy. Tal, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to Out of the Clouds. Hi, I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much. So tell me, where am I finding you today? Actually, today I was supposed to be at a studio, but I'm actually at my house with my daughter and husband. And they didn't plan to, but such a cold day, like... Israeli weather, cold day. <laughs> it means like 17 degrees or something, though. It's uh, windy and a bit rainy, so it's actually good to be home today and speak from home. I'm loving the fact that 17 degrees is cold in Tel Aviv. <laughs> it's like super cold. But actually being by the sea, I'm guessing that also it's very humid. So this is a different kind of cold than the one I'm experiencing in Geneva. Yeah, completely. And we're used to, to be cold, so... All the clothes that we have. And I mean, when it rains, it, I mean, the traffic stops and there are so many troubles. The way that we live, we used to live under the sun, I think. Mm. Oh, I miss the sun. Well, tomorrow, apparently. So. <laughs> so I'm really excited to talk to you. I so enjoyed discovering your project and seeing you garner a prize at the Luxury Innovation Awards in Geneva back in October 2022. And we'll come to talk to that. But so as a way to enter in our conversation, 
for my privilege and as well as my guests, I really enjoy asking the people that I bring onto the podcast to tell their story very freely and pick up wherever they are comfortable doing so. So we better understand who you are before we talk about what you do. So I know it's a tall order, but Tal, would you indulge me and in telling me your story? Yes, I'm happy to. So I'm 40 years old and I live, I was actually born and raised in Tel Aviv. I have three kids, young ones, seven, five and less than a year. And if I think about it, I guess the big change or the big journey starts actually eight years ago, but I'm industrial designer and I'm a lecturer at the same school that I study. It's called AJT in Hulon. It's very close to Tel Aviv. And I think it's one of the best schools here for industrial design in Israel. And I teach there for the last 12 years. And it's also a big part of what I'm doing. And I really love to do it. So I finished to study, I guess, 13 years ago, something like that. I worked in the fashion industry. I'm an industrial designer, really. And that's why I love the 3D product. Though I'm super interested in craft and in textile, it's something that I knew that I loved before. And when I finished the studies, the industrial design studies, I went to study curatorship and museology in Tel Aviv University for two years. It was really, really interesting. And my final project was related to craft and textile. Though I worked a bit as a curator and with a really famous curator here, that calls Gali, but I felt, if I'm going to be honest, that I'm not willing like to give the stage for other designers. I really felt that I want to design, and maybe that's what I'm going to do when I'll be old. So there are many things that I, I might do when I'll be old, though this is maybe one of them. The other thing that I did is actually when I finished to study, I started to study patisserie, and I thought that I'm going to be a designer who works with, especially with patisserie, but I fell in love with the textile and with my work and then everything changed. So this is like the beginning of my way. And time in fashion, I, en- I really enjoyed it and I loved it, though I felt that there's something is missing there. I mean, I like to design clothes and what I really enjoyed is to uh, create a brand that uh, I was working, big brand that used to import very good and high-end brands to Israel. And when I started, I worked there and I built our own brand. And it was the first time that the company that I worked in started to be a producer and not just importer. And creating that brand was, for me, amazing experience. I enjoyed every minute, even the hard parts. And I really liked it. I felt that I creating something that it's more than just creating a product. Still... I think that I had a lot of criticism to the fashion industry and I felt like I'm not in the right place and that I need to do something. And I decided that after like five years that I'm going to search for my next thing. So that's my life before I started IOTA. And it kind of stayed almost the same though. (laughs) I built another brand and it's really my, I guess, my fourth child. Mm. Oh, I love that. Yes. When did you become interested in design? Do you have a particular memory when you were a child or a teenager when you realized that this was something you wanted to pursue? It's funny because I used to, when I was a kid, like create things related, maybe artistic things, but never thought about design as something that I'm going to learn. 
And I actually study biology and chemistry and I'm like kind of a good student. You know, I have patience and time and I can read a lot. And it's something that I know to focus for a long time. And I remember that after the, when I finished the army, I used to do like jewelries and sell them. But it was a kind of a hobby. I never thought that it's going to be never my job. But then when I thought what I'm going to study, I, I thought that maybe that I'm going to start to make jewelries. And then I traveled in India for six months and I went to learn how they make jewelries, like silver jewelries and some kind of old techniques, like craft techniques for jewelry. And then I heard someone was talking about industrial design and I felt that if I'm going to learn to be product design, industrial design, I can do whatever I want. It can be a furniture, it can be a jewelry, it can be, I don't know, ceramic, but it also can be computers or cars or a bicycle. And I thought that because I don't know exactly what I want to do, so maybe I will learn something that will give me all the ability. And I think that what you, I'm trying to teach, but also what you study when you learn how to be industrial designer, you learn how to research and you learn how to learn about some industry. You, don't, you understand that, I don't know, for example, I didn't know to design in plastic because it's not something that I do and I, I don't do it. And I wasn't a ceramic, so I didn't know how to plan objects from ceramic. Though what I learned, and that's what we are trying to do, is to understand how to think as a ceramic designer, how to think as a designer who works with plastic. So, And if you know what the right questions, and if you know what you should know or what you should learn, you can actually learn everything. And then a good designer can design things and use a lot of different kinds of industries. It's fascinating because here you're talking about industrial design as a little bit like a superpower. Maybe as a method. Yeah, I think it's kind of a method, a way of thinking. I was about to say a methodology. Yeah, exactly. A methodology. Mm. A methodology that you can apply. And it's interesting that you also talk about questions. You're saying it's about asking the right questions to think as a designer of XYZ. It's, it's fascinating. and so. What was the appeal for textiles in particular? Is, is there a story there as well? The only thing that I don't have is a lot of patience. And with textile, you can design something and after a few hours, you can actually, few hours, a few days, never mind, but you can actually see, you know, and when you design something from plastic. And when I started, it was, it was before the 3D printing that actually changed the way that we think because you could actually think about something, creating it, and you have a model, and it's not just a model that looks like it can actually be the final product. I think it was something that I felt very attracted to. That's one thing. The other thing, I love craft. I always loved craft. I mean, I felt, if you were talking about a superpower, I felt that, that craft related to skills. And I think that everyone needs to be good at something. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be the bake the best apple cake, it can be, I don't know, making colors like really good. It can be cleaning your house. It can be know the way, you know, there are people who always know where they are. I mean, you should be really good at something. And it's really, and I felt that having a skill that you are good at will give you, like it's empowering, will make you believe that you can do many things. And with textile, I think it's something that you can, you can learn the skill. I would say quite fast. Of course, like if you are an artisan, it can, it will take you years, but the, the parabola, maybe the way it's quite fast. If I need to think about it. Sure. La parabole. <laughs> I know what you mean. <laughs> 
So tell us about the IOTA project and how it came to be. When I started IOTA, as I told you, so I was working in the fashion industry and I decided that I'm going to think about my next thing. And I didn't know what I'm going to do. In that time, I was looking for my next adventure. And I met Shula. Shula is my partner. Her name is Shula Moses. She's 70 years old and she's an amazing woman. And she's really one of my biggest inspiration every day, I think, when we meet and in every conversation, there is something there that I'm taking with me and it's not obvious. We met through some colleagues and they told me that maybe it would be, can be interesting for me to meet her. And I said, okay, let's do it. I don't know what I'm going to do. So now I'm going to meet many people. And, and when we met, she told me that she actually wanted to build a brand that will provide jobs to unemployed women through knitting. I didn't know nothing about knitting and I didn't know nothing about social businesses. And I said, okay, I need to think about it. And I think that two things <laughs> happened. Once I opened Google and I wrote it, crochet knitting, and it was like the most unsexy page that I ever <laughs> seen. I mean, <laughs> you saw there like socks for babies and really not cool and attractive objects and technique. And it didn't look very good. In that time, I went to a track that's called Camino de Santiago. It's like 800 kilometers from France, just to Spain. Yeah. I went with my, uh, then he was my boyfriend, now it's my husband. Mm-hmm. I, I, we went together. And before we went to the track, Shula taught me how to knit really, really in a simple way. And I took like a bit of yarn, a small, a little bit yarn ball and a needle. And I was knitting all the time. And it was, it really became like a therapy. I don't know where is what I needed. I think I needed something from my head, but I don't know where it is. And it really doesn't matter because I really felt that I want to do it more. So I felt that I'm attracted to that craft and everything seems like it can be knitted. I was imagining myself knitting many, many things. And more than that, I started to research about knitting and I discovered that crocheting, it's more than knitting. It's knitting with one needle, actually, if I'll correct myself. I discovered that crochet is the, it's the only craft in the world that has international sites, like tones in music. It means that if I'll teach you to knit, I mean, professionally, huh. I will teach you to read a sketch. And I thought, like, exactly like tones, like you, Bands can play, and they don't need to speak with each other, sure. they just need to see. So it's the same. So I can take a group of people, give them sketches, and they will crochet as the sketch. And I felt that it's so smart. If I'm getting back to the industrial designer hat that I'm, I used to have, right, asking the right question means that every choice that you make during your design has to have like an answer, has to have a smart answer. And I thought we're not going to knit or crochet because Shula is a very good knitter, right? It's not a good excuse to create a brand out of it. But if that craft is interesting and it's smart, and if our dream is to create communities of women all around the world, so if we're going to have our own language, we can communicate more easily and overcome cultural difficulties, language difficulties, distance, many things that I thought that our own language can support us. So I actually started to like that idea. After the track, I went. I flew to Boston. I didn't have work then, so I could do whatever I want. And my sister used to live in Boston then. And there's a really an amazing museum there that's called ICA. It's for Modern Art Museum. It's I really recommend to go there if you're going to Boston. 
And there was an exhibition that called Fiber Sculpture from 1960 till today, till present. And it was an amazing exhibition. The scale of the object was huge. I never saw textile in such a huge scale. And when I saw it, I really felt that this exhibition is like made specially for me. I mean, I, I came, I bought a catalog. I came back to, to, to Tel Aviv, to Shula, and I, I told her, I don't know what you had in mind, but if you are interested of doing something like that, I'm in. And then she actually flew to Boston. She saw the exhibition. She came back and she told me, that's so not what I have in mind, but let's start. When I'm thinking about that story, I'm kind of dreaming sometimes that I will be invited to talk about IOTA in business schools because we didn't have a business plan. We didn't have a budget. I mean, I didn't have even one Excel. I have sketches. I wrote many things. Both of us had such a passion to do something. But if I need to think about it, I'm so happy that we didn't do it like it read it in the book because I think that sometimes it's some part of what you're doing. It's just do it, you know, start to work. Then mm. everything will become completed. I mean, you could always add an excess. But I think that if you are if you're passionate to something and you are happy with it, so... It's better just to start to it, to start working on it. So that's actually how everything started. The next step, I mean, if I jump in, was when I understood that if that's what we are going to do, we have to design our own textile. Because I imagine it like D.O. I mean, I would never buy a D.O. dress and then go to the shop in the street and we'll find the fabric and then I will buy it. If I'll buy a D.O. dress. They designed the fabric, they produced it. You cannot find it anywhere else. That's part of what they present. And here, for me with IOTA, it was the same. If we're going to create handmade, very high-end products, it means that they're going to cost a lot, that's for sure, because we pay fair trade and I understood that they're going to cost a lot. And if it's, that's what we're going to do, so it has to be new, and the tackle has to be something that would be part of our language, of IOTA language. And I also thought that the right materials can be part of creating new look, like create the object that it will be relevant, modern, that people would, I mean, creating something in crocheting and make it cool is, it's a hard work. So the second thing that I did was to understand that and to design our yarn, sorry, we control their thickness, their strength, their color. I mean, the character, some of them are UV protected, for example. So it's something that we thought in advance and created the yarn with a UV character. Of course, we have the social issue. I mean, it goes together, but it's kind of a different path because creating a community is building mm. it and be different than like dreaming about creating objects that's going to be cool and relevant and, and high-end. That's fascinating. So going back just a tiny bit, I want to share with our listeners that I did some research before we spoke today. And actually the ICA in Boston has a fantastic website and there is the archive of the exhibition that you talk about. And I was lucky enough to see several of the shorter clips behind the scenes of some of the great pieces of work that you saw. And there is also, I think, a 90-minute interview with one of the artists. So if you're interested, I'll put the links in the show notes because it's really worth 
catching a glimpse of what sort of lit this passion for you. I was very curious, I must say, because <laughs> I'd read about that. And I think it's also nice to know that sometimes like going to an exhibition, for example, really can change the way that you think about something. I mean, I really have to give that specific exhibition the beginning of Fayata, I mean, it's really part of it. It's opened my mind and my heart. And I was starting to, f- to fantasize about what can we do after being there. So, and I guess that that's maybe what art and exhibition can create. And maybe that's their goal. I don't know. I'm dreaming for you now that one day some of the pieces from IOTA Project will find their space in other exhibitions or perhaps even at the ICA. Who knows? Wow, that's going to be amazing. Maybe I'll write them. (laughs) (laughs) I think you should. For the next exile exhibition. Yeah. So I understand what you were describing in terms of the language. And actually, this reminded me only about three years ago, just pre-pandemic, but it feels like forever ago. I was lucky to go to Jaipur and be introduced to Jaipur rugs. And it's a wonderful, oh, you know them. (laughs) Of course. And I was lucky to meet their CEO and to discover some of the projects that they do, some of which is similar to yours, where they actually work with artisans remotely. And they've developed technology for them to actually order yarn from an mm-hmm. app so that it comes straight to them when they need anything. And, and it allows for women to stay in the community. And also they've got a project that lets the most creative of them who want to do whatever they want. And I actually bought two of their rugs because I completely oh, wow. fell in love. <laughs> I'm their unofficial PR, basically. Uh, <laughs> so it's really quite special to know that you have the ability to channel and push this work out but to these women in, in remote communities. But talk to me about your choice of going to the kind of product that you do, because you're working in interiors with crochet, which is not the most obvious thing that someone would consider. That's correct. I wanted to go to the interior because I thought at first to be able to create new ideas about what crochet is, I didn't want to work in fashion. I thought that it needs to go to a different direction. That's one thing. And I also thought that because the textile that we are using is more like ropes, it's much harder. I thought that it can also be part of what I'm trying to, I was trying to take crochet for what we think about it, like as nostalgic and kind of grandma style, although it's very fashionable right now. It's always coming back, but still what we're trying to do is taking what we imagine would think about crochet. And I wanted to try to make it a new thing. I mean, many people that look on our product don't even think that they were made like crochet by crocheting. Right? And sometimes I'm happy about it, not because they don't recognize it, because they don't do that thing that's like that's connected to what they imagine that crochet gonna is like. Sure, it breaks the association in their mind. Exactly. Yeah. So, and I also thought that there, are, I mean, in terms of competitors in fashion, it's going to be much harder because there are designer who works in crochet and to be honest now we are kind of getting back to fashion not as part of iota's collection we collaborate with fashion companies because we know how to give them like a full service from designing the yarn to design the products to production so i mean it's much less headache much less and 
in addition to it, the social impact that we create also is something that a lot of friends are interested in. So that the two things can serve a need in the fashion industry. But I wanted to create something new and that's why I chose the interior. And in addition, I think that I'm as industrial designer. I wanted to design objects sure. for interior. <laughs> I have to say it, it was very difficult for me not to spend an extra hour or two on your website because I found mm-hmm. that I wanted to click through to all of the products. But perhaps for those who haven't yet discovered what they are, can you try to describe them and also talk about how you thought to use handles on cushions that you can use outside and also straps on blankets. I mean, there are some really clever twists and turns in the collections that make them particularly appealing. Thanks. Yes, of course. Okay. So, I mean, what we sell mainly is rugs, poof, pillows. We have a collection of swings that works really, really good. And, and it's funny because sometimes when I present IOTA worldwide, most of the time I started the presentation with a photo of, of, the, of our swing. And it's written like black on white with really big letters. No one needs a swing. Actually, there's a friend of mine. I think she would. But <laughs> apart from her, yes. <laughs> okay. But most of people don't need a swing. But, and I'm asking, but what do we need? I think that we need to laugh. We need to have memories. We need to have fun. We need to create experiences. And I think that that's what our products are trying to do. I mean, we sell, of course, product that you can use, but I'm hoping that uh, we also sell experience because I, I don't know when was the last time that you, sw- that you swing on a swing. I don't know. I mean, most of the adults that I meet or that I'm talking with, it was really long time. So it's fun. And I have many stories about Paul that I saw started to swing and started to laugh. And it's like the best icebreaker that you can imagine and the best Instagram moment <laughs> that I saw. Especially since it's very pretty. So I could see like grown-ups on a crochet swing being, yes, of course, it's, it's an unusual experience. Exactly. And for our other product, we have an indoor-outdoor collection because the inspiration behind it is it's kind of nomads. And we were imagining that we are nomads in Greece. It was inspired by nomads because it's not like nomads all over the world. But I thought that today we live in like in between spaces. And it also actually the lounge was during the COVID. So it was part of it. And being nomads during the COVID, it's also a different, completely different story. But we imagine that today the spaces, for example, in the houses are not that strict. I mean, I can invite people and we will sit in the living room and then we'll go out, sit in the balcony or in our terrace or in our garden. And then it will be afternoon and we'll get inside or it can be guests, but it can also be our family or the way that we move from space to space. And also we felt that today the outdoor is not that the indoor now is like, this is the living room and the outdoor looks like no, out that you have like plastic furniture there and you don't mind. I mean, it becomes like one space that describes who you are. And I think that during the COVID, we understood also that people invest more in their houses because it's where they spend most of the time. And when we launched the collection, we imagined 
the nomad, the kind of the idea behind the nomads was that you can, like, what do you need when you go somewhere? So maybe you need like a really good spot, I don't know, in front of the sea, uh, having a great view, I don't know, under the sun, just catching some sun. It can be a really good spot. And you need like a place to lay down or where are you that you can put your back or head and then feel relaxed. Maybe a book or I will say our phone because that's how it works. So for each product we can handle, it would be easy to carry. And we could imagine that you carry it, I don't know, from inside, outside at your house. But we imagine that you take it also to your favorite spot in the neighborhood or to your favorite spot, wherever it is. And it would be easy to carry because we thought that now we carry like our bags and our personal stuff, but we could imagine that you can carry your furniture and create your home everywhere that you will be in the world. And it is also, I guess, part of what the COVID, <laughs> I don't know, affected us, I would say. Um, and after that, we kind of, we traveled to Greece. It's an island. And where do people live like the longest time, longest years, I would say. An average uh, death year is like, 198 and we were researched why why is it different than everywhere else and it's it was written that they have like a self they are self-sufficient they get related to food related to craft related to the way that they build their houses so kind of taking use your hands and not just and not just do what you need to or use your head i mean they really practicing doing what they need like create again like some of the clothes or cook many things by themselves there are not many restaurants that there there are people who live there i mean not used to go out to eat outside they eat together but everyone cooks something and they actually drink alcohol smoke cigarettes but (laughs) sleeping they are resting at noontime and we read also that they do a lot of sex so that's what we read that they are why do people live there I mean, for such a long time. And uh, it was a really nice trip over there because we could we could imagine the way the collection is built is uh, it's taking the grandma uh, square. It's like most familiar way of crocheting. It's like grandma square. That's if I'll get back to where it started. It used to be needed. It used to be crocheted from uh, leftovers because it was easy to carry. And you just did like one more square from a leftover yarn, another square from another leftover yarn. And then you had, you just connected all the squares and it created like a blanket or whatever, like a jacket or whatever you want. So that's what, what we take, could imagine that it's something that you can carry with you all the time. And actually we, when we designed the collection, we took that grandma square, but we made it very big with a different material and it becomes like a texture. But the women that we work with, actually, they need squares and, like separately, and then they combine them to a rug or to a pillow. And and when you look at from like a top view, it looks like it, you don't, you won't think about it as a grammar square because of the material, because of, of the scale, because of the way that it looks like it's big as a rug and not as a blanket. So you don't even recognize it. And we like that idea. Of doing it. I had to go back to your website to look at it. <laughs> yes, I see that. I now I it it completely makes sense. It does 
call back to that doily grandma. Yeah. But it, it's completely modern and super appealing. And there's something interesting I find about the way that you designed the double cushion that you can lift with a handle. Mm-hmm. Because I think that what you were saying earlier about somehow what makes you feel at home is also that you can really rest and having the right support is really what makes you feel like you can sort of let go of your worries and sort of relax and rest. So I, I see this as I'm looking at on the screen, I, I feel the connection to what you're doing with the design. I'm going to tell you something silly. I, in my spare time, I'm a meditation teacher And just this weekend, I was recording a new grounding meditation. And it's a very short meditation, but in which you explore what the sensation is of being supported when you're sat in a comfortable position, whether or not you have a back or a cushion behind you or the feeling of the seat or the ground underneath Mm -hmm. you. And having that sense of feeling supported is what just makes us feel at home. So anyway. Yeah. I completely agree. And, you know, when, when you are talking about meditation, knitting and crochet is considered like a yoga to the brain. It's considered as a meditative craft. And I think that this is also why a lot of women that we work with really enjoy it because at some point you don't need to count. You just do it like in a kind of automatically. You can do, you can talk during it while you're crocheting or you can I don't know, watch TV or you can hear music. It's not something that you are, you need to be focused, but first it's really, it helps your completely develop your mind kind of. It could really consider like one of the best, I would say, I can't say medicines, of course, but maybe it's like pre, pre-help, uh, dementia and Alzheimer. It's, it's really considered like the best cure that if you practice it, it really helps your brain work. Like, extra hours and I really think that that craft is amazing that sounds fascinating and now you're tempting me (laughs) I noticed on the website as well that you had I assume that you launched this during the pandemic that you created some crochet starter kits yeah actually when the pandemic started we could go to the studio because we were six and I mean it's a small studio and it was like two kilometers from our house so it we enjoyed going there because we met people. And, but Europe close to us. So in terms of selling products, I mean, for a few, for like a month and so, it stopped. Everything stopped. The world stopped. And then we were six designers that sat on the same room and were anxious to do something. And we didn't know what to do. And then we thought about the DIY kits. We decided that because we love crocheting and that craft and we think it's amazing and it con- as I told you it's because it's, we knew it it's meditating and we knew it's considered like a yoga to the mind we wanted to take people out of the zoom to take people out of the screen and to teach them or to give them the ability to work with their hands like and, and actually a lot of people were so interested because they were looking for something to do and that it will be creative and what we were trying to do is to create DIY kits that will be attractive as the product. We didn't want to design like those socks for babies that I mentioned in the beginning. We wanted to create things through crocheting that will be cool and attractive and relevant and modern. 
and that people would really want. And uh, we designed, I think, around 50 kits, 50 DIY kits. And for the first year of the COVID, it works amazingly. I mean, people liked it. We sold it all over the world. And it was really, really good way to support what we are doing, but also to feel that we can do something. So it was a great experience mm. for us. So would you talk to me about the mission? Yes, I would love to. I think it's like we were talking about design so much, but and I like it because I always think that our products has a social mission, but because that they cost a lot, they have to be very well designed. I mean, no one buy our product as a donation. It's not like a even not a hundred euros. Oh God, yeah. You don't pay one thousand euros as a donation by buying a product. So the design is a very big part of what we are doing. But the reason that we are doing, I mean, like the wh- why question that it's we ask all the time, is we would love. I mean, our goal is to create a social impact through design. Today we work mainly with a, a community of Syrian refugees in Istanbul. We work with around 50 women each month, between, I would say, 50 to 70 women each month for the last four years that works, some from their houses and some of the workshops that we work with in Istanbul. We work with a few more small communities, one also in Turkey that does that does needle crochet. It's like crocheting, but with very, very thin needle. And also with one that we started to work and the new collection would going to be launched in March in India, that it's also actually will be weaving and not knitting it. And it's a completely new adventure for us. And we can talk about it afterwards. And there is a small community in Mexico. But I mean, our dream is to provide jobs to as much as women that we can. And also it won't be something that we will do and not do like each month. It will be something that will be temporary and they can count on us. We know that I mean, they will know that that's the work. Of course, they receive fair trade and first civil rights because that's what we are here for. And I think that this very important part of what we are doing. And we are in a very good relationship with the women that we work with because I think that the connection is made because it was it's important for us and actually they felt connected to us and to the product. So it's a community. What's also special for me about it, that it's not like a micromanagement. I don't know when do they work. I don't know where do they work from. I mean, they know that that's what we need because that's what we order. And we are taking responsibility of our, on our orders. I mean, it's not related to them. We have a stock and we buy the stock. And if we sell it, and if we don't sell it, that's not good, but it's our responsibility. So, our relationship has to be based and it starts with a lot of trust because I'm asking them that it will be ready in a week. And I don't know where do they work. I mean, imagine now that a lot of people like go to work and come back to work and we have that, that we see each other working and we know that we are working. But with the women that we work with, I don't know, I trust them. I trust them to do what they need to do 
for us. And they know that if it will be good, they will receive more work. And if it won't be good, if it won't deliver on time on the right quality, we're going to have a problem and we won't be able to pay them because I can trust them. So it's based on trust. And I think that it's really nice way to work with people. And I also know that the only way that they can actually work with us because the women that we work with, most of them are mothers. They are refugees and some of them are from unprivileged areas or backgrounds. So they have to take care of the kids. They have to take care of them. So I understand, and also as a mother, but I also understand that you have to find a way to do it together. If they am letting them to choose when do they work, they can arrange their time and do it. So it's not, I think that, it's, we have to understand that that's the only way to work with. That's very inspiring. And I'm glad that you made that introduction and in talking about it's not micromanagement. Yeah, that's right. It's a different way to think about work altogether. So as I read several of the articles about you, about Shula and the IOTA project, I noticed a couple of different terminologies that I felt were particularly intriguing. Can you talk to me about slow design and its benefits? Slow design is a way that you understand. For me, at the beginning, I would say that things takes time. I mean, I think that we, we understand it so very well when we talk about food. I mean, we understand that fast food is, maybe comes fast. And maybe if you're hungry, it helps. <laughs> but, but we understand what the meaning of behind eating something that is so fast and needs to be created fast. And when we say fast, we are talking also about most of the time cheap. And when I think that it's kind of the same with design. Design that is very, it's kind of fast design means most of the time that it sells in mass production. And if it's, like cheap, so someone paid the price. There is no way, I mean, that you can create something that would be high end, fair trade, took care of all the small details, and no one would pay the price. For me, slow design, it, it's something that, that we actually practicing because crocheting takes time no matter what. I mean, if you, you will order for me now, a rug that it's not in our stock. And it's something that we do all the time. We do custom-made rugs all the time with the right measurements and what and colors and finishes. I give to my clients 90 working days. It's three months because we need to create the yarns and we need to give the yarn to the, to the knitter, to the artisans, and they need to crochet. So it takes time no matter what. And also it's not, the, it's not a machine. So it's not that you put, you press play and, she can eat for like for 48 hours and without rest. I mean, it, because it's hard and you do it with your hands, so you have to rest and you have to go to sleep and you have to eat and you have to go to eat. When I'm thinking about slow design, my goal is that people, like everyone says, that let's buy products that will stay for long. We would love them for a long time. They can work with changes in our lives, for example, and they will be in very good quality. And if on the way that you can be part of something that you believe in, you can create an impact. I always say that IOTA is the platform 
We, we are not the one who does the change. We are a platform. The people that will make the change will be the clients, will be the companies, will be the interior designers, will be the architectures that will decide to work with us, to choose our product on other products. Because we kind of giving the opportunity, but people that will choose to use it, they will make the change. They will affect their clients. They will affect the people that, live in their spaces because they will prefer to choose and to use something that has an impact on something that doesn't. And it actually, it doesn't have to be IOTA. It can be any other brand that has sustainable social impact. Yeah, it's so sustainable social impact. And at the same time, as you mentioned before, it's not just a price point, it's luxury. And actually, we had a conversation with a wonderful designer based in London called Pippa Small, who is an ethical or conscious jeweler, I would say. And she talked so beautifully about the luxury of made by hand. It's not the same thing as luxury created by a machine. And I've been to beautiful factories in Italy that do use machines and the way that the workers interact with them still mean that it's luxury and it's hand finished and it's it's impeccable but there's a different connection i think to the relationship with made by hand and i think that the customer feels almost at an intuitive unconscious level the difference between one and and the other i guess that's part of the beauty that comes with made by hand is also slight changes in perfections that make them i was going to say remarkable but perhaps it creates a connection with our heart you know yeah yeah that's completely true when I think about it I think that as a designer we have kind of a different challenge in IOTA because the women that we are working with are not artisans so our product has to have tolerance for mistakes I mean we need to design something in a way that we understand that it's going to have mistakes and when you think about, I mean, as a designer, I'm used to give a sketch to the carpenter. And if he's a good carpenter, he will give me as exactly as what it was in the sketch. But now when we design, like we have a pool, for example, that's made out of 200 flowers. You can make 10 mistakes in each flower and no one would notice. It's the same in the swing, for example. It's made out of 189 flowers. And if you would make mistakes, no one would know because it becomes a texture. It becomes something that is alive. So I think in that way, we are really practicing what, what does it mean to work with a handmade, by handmade artisan. And also, it's a way of thinking. I mean, our team has to think about when we design that way. And I'm telling people all the time that it's will be the right measurements, but if it will be two centimeters more, two centimeters less, I can't control it. And if it's too important, don't buy from us because it's not something that I can promise. The other thing is there is no machine in the world that does crochet. So even if we want to, it's not possible. So it has to be by hand. And more than that, as you said, I think that psychologically, the way that we think about what, how we connect or how we experience the product, I can always compare it to food. Imagine that you eat something that was done by machine, that you receive like a 
plate that was completely, that someone opened a package, uh, a machine, put your food on the plate and imagine that, it, that you eat something that someone made it. You feel much more comfort when you eat something that someone did. I mean, <laughs> you feel that someone took care of you. Someone look at what is it going to be and not just like mm. went out of a box. You know, you just made me realize that I think it was in Design or in one of the design magazines, I saw some renderings of the first completely automated drive through store in the US. And I can't remember what fast food brand it was. <laughs> but so what you're describing feels A, horrible and not like something that I would ever want to eat. But B, it seems to be happening somewhere in the world. Thanks for scaring me yeah. a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, if you want to eat it, you know that it's not good for you. You think that, okay, maybe I wanted to eat it once. But you know it's something that you can't rely on. You can't trust it. You know that it's something that it feels like that maybe you want to try, but it's not something that is sustainable. It, you can't eat it all the time because you know that it's not good for you. So I think it's the same. So with this sort of very different image of the future to what you're working on your, with your project. So uh, you may have expressed it before, but how do you imagine IOTA Project to develop? in the near to far future? What's the goal? Okay, I have few goals, but one, I mean, the big one is that I can imagine that we have communities of women all around the world and the production serves the area that the products are being sold in. For example, when we work in Europe, so the production maybe is in Istanbul with our community, but when we work in the US, so maybe we, we're going to build communities of women in South or West America, and it can be in Mexico, Guatemala. I mean, there are many countries, but I mean, I can imagine that we build communities over there and it, the work and the order would provide, I mean, jobs to the market that they live in and sell in and produce in. I mean, it would be the same area. I think in, in sustainable way, it will, it will also kind of take off all the flights and the transportation that it, it's something we know it's a big issue now when we talk about sustainability. So I think that in my mind, if the communities that we work will with will serve the market that they are being sell in, it will be a kind of holistic way. And I think that it's a it's a nice image that I have in mind because I think that if we will if the market that we live in will serve the market that we buy from and it's something that I think can be Interesting, if we were talking also about slow design, it's part of it. That's one goal. My other goal is IOTA, it's as the way that I see it, it's kind of a method. As of, it's a way of thinking, I think. And now we are doing it with a new craft. As I told you, we, the new, our new collection is, as weave, is made out of we, by weaving. It's a new community that we work with in India. And I didn't know how it will look like and what people will think about it because everyone known us as the knitters. But I think that if I want to show to myself and to the world that it's a way of thinking, creating a community, teach and learn the craft, use new textile and create jobs for unemployed women, maybe it can be in other crafts and not just in one craft. And then I can, maybe IOTA can be, can 
not just choose like one craft and begin into it. Although it's not that we are going to stop do what we do in crochet and we to keep developing that craft. But I think in, if we think about learning a craft, creating something cool out of it, providing it, but make it attractive and design our own ideas through that craft. So maybe it can be done in other crafts and other places in the world. So I would love to try. And that's what we will see now with the new mm-hmm. collection, though I really think it's beautiful. But I will try to prove it. That's another goal that I have. Maybe the third one would be like to collaborate with very good and high-end brands. I think that the fact that we can we, we control the production chain, we know to design the yard, we know to take care of the fibers, we know to design the products, we know to actually to produce it and to take care of the production. I think that what we can do is like, I would say it's the best service ever because I know who stands behind it. But I really think that our abilities to create custom-made and small private collections to very good high-end brands can be a really good idea to work in. And I believe in that because I think that a lot of kind of those high-end and good companies can help us to create a bigger social impact. As much as we will produce more, we will provide jobs to more people. I mean, that's for sure. It's like a one sure. line. It's a one row. I mean, there is no ifs. So working with big companies will give us the ability to show how we control that craft and that we know to produce in high quantities, but at the same time to produce and provide jobs to much, much more women. And I think it will show how good design can create a social impact and how well is it connected. So that's, I think, the third one. Mm, I wish that for your future. I was actually <laughs> going to touch on collaborations because I, I was looking in my notes, but I can't find it. You did collaborate already with Futuristic Car, which I think was particularly exciting. Yeah, it, we met, we were collaborating with Peugeot. We met them in Maison Objet. It's a design fair that is taking place in, uh, in Paris twice a year. And we met the, the material designer over there. We did, I don't speak French and she doesn't speak English. And it was funny because we really communicated with our hands. And afterwards with Google Translate, everyone told me like, what are you doing? Are you actually in touch with the Peugeot designer through Google Translate? And everyone like told me, you are crazy. And I said, why? I mean, it's so easy. She doesn't need to find anyone who will translate her. I don't need to find anyone who will translate for me. And we are, you know, two women who just want to do stuff together and easily, fast. <laughs> so it works really well, by the way. Yeah. So it was really good. And we designed for them the rugs for the concept cars and for the high-end cars. And what was nice about it, that they described our time in the car or while we are driving as like hours, we can actually at the end, maybe it will be an automatic cars once, but we can, we can do something. I mean, it's part of our experience during the day. I mean, we spend so so much time in our cars. So while driving, so why does the car needs to be like so pretty needs to take care of all the small details. But the rugs would be like a cut out of machine, maybe to feel at home. 
if we're talking about laying down and we're talking about feeling comfortable to take your shoes off or something, maybe if the rugs in the car would be something that was handmade, that it's like from mm. thick material, we will feel much more cozy and kind of at home while you're driving. So it, mm. was, it was really interesting. And believe me, I'm, I have like a list of brands that I would love to collaborate with Peugeot and other cars. It was never one of them. It was a great surprise. And it was really, really an amazing experience. That's so cool. I have to say, when I saw the picture, I'm I'm a rug lover. <laughs> so I have, a, I have a thing for textile and a thing for rugs. But when I saw that, it felt like an evidence. I was like, why is no one doing beautiful, cool rugs? And I have my first car. Ta-da! I took my time <laughs> to, to get my first car. And I'm thinking I would totally have your rugs in my car. Anyway, I'll think about it for the next product, next collection. <laughs> it suddenly it feels, especially if you travel in the summer and there's several people in the car, you take your shoes off and you think about yeah, yeah. the texture of the material below you. And I'm thinking there's almost something that's like, it could be almost like reflexology, yeah, depending yeah, on the quite sure. the material that you have. And anyways, I agree. I'm going to stop there. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a few more questions, but lastly, one of the things that struck me when I, after I met you, when I went to, to the website, you treat IOTA Project as a startup. So can you tell me about how you operate as a company? I think, I mean, as I consider myself kind of as a young woman, but as a, I mean, when I started uh, IOTA, I had like a really big dreams in terms of businessly, I imagine that it would be an international brand that will sell all over the world, that it would be something that, I mean, although we work with craft and social impact, but I never thought about or I never dream about IOTA as like a small business that just few people know, that I will work by myself. I always imagine it like something that I can compete like the really good and high and high end brands as I like and familiar with. But I understood and it that I wanted like work kind of to be part of the new business model, but again using craft. So I built IOTA kind of as a startup because it based investment. I have an investor, she is my partner. And now for example we are interested to open the European market again after COVID and maybe the US market. And we are looking for new investors and new partners that will join us and will be interested on design and to create a social business. And I know that there are many people that find it it in things. So that's one thing. So we have an investor. We design a product. It doesn't look like an app. It looks like a rug or like a swing, but it's still a product. We have an amazing technology like the lowest technology ever. And maybe it's a technique. It's not a technology, but I can compare our head of design, Noah, to a CTO in a startup company. And as I told you just before, our goal is to work worldwide and to collaborate with the high-end and big brands all over the world. So kind of built like a startup. And we are a small team that know how to change our abilities according what we need. And like, for example, the COVID exhibition, we felt that we need to do something. So 
during the pandemic, we created the DIY kits and it wasn't something that we planned two years ago to do. And I think that also when you think about a startup, so it's like it fall fast, but it's raise up fast. So we know how to fall fast. And then we find the next interesting, I don't know, mission that we are dreaming about. And I know to create a lot of fantasies. I am fantasizing a lot. So it helps. That's indeed, yeah. Having lots of dreams helps you pivot to the next exactly. one. Mm. Yeah, that, that startup word is interesting because so we met at this awards exhibition in Geneva and I was particularly moved when you won in your category because you had made the trip with your baby girl and remind <laughs> me of her name because I forgot. Tira. Shira. So you were there with Shira and Shira was how many months at, at that four, time? Four months. Four months. So it felt, and this is obviously very personal to me, but other people could also feel connected to that. In a lot of these conferences, it can be very male-dominated, middle-aged or upwards, <laughs> mm-hmm. very white, uh, overwhelmingly so at times. And to see you step up there with your daughter it's very moving. I wonder what it means to you to be a mother and the head of a startup. What is the connection there for you? When you saw me in the in Geneva, it wasn't something that I planned to. It, it's not what I had in mind. I, I didn't know that we're going to win for sure. And more than that, I didn't plan to take her with me. I mean, it, it was supernatural. Afterwards, I felt that maybe... I made like a joke, you know, I mean, it took me like a few minutes to understand that that's part of it. And actually, it, it is part of it. When I started IOTA, it was years ago, six months afterwards, I was pregnant with my first daughter. I have three kids. And I think it was something that I had to understand that maybe it's my fourth child, IOTA, but this is part of our life. And although it takes a lot of time and energy, <laughs> but this is part of it. I... I want to do what I'm doing. I love what I'm doing. I don't want to do anything else. If I could sign somewhere, I would sign that I will keep doing it for the next 20 years. I'm completely would be very happy with it. And it has to be part of the journey. So I think it helps that my partner is a woman, 70 years old, and understand that this is part of it. And I guess she has a perspective. She understands that this is only part of the way. And if we are running together for a long time, this is part of the way. I mean, she, it's like 10 years or, I don't know, 12 years. It would be the hardest time, but this is it. I mean, and afterwards, it changes a bit. As a mom, first, I want to show to my kids that you can do things that you love and you don't need to give up on yourself. And I think that it's something that my husband, he knew since the beginning that this is who I am. I mean, he never asked me to stop do what I do. He always is like really super helpful because he takes 50% of taking care of him. And I mean, I couldn't do it by myself completely. In our house, it's not that I'm fighting for my time or my space. I mean, we totally share it. So this is something that's super helpful. I mean, he told me at the beginning, you can leave her with me. And it was First, I couldn't not taking her because she was such a young, you know, baby and she needs to, I mean, we are connected. So uh, it was taking her with me 
or not going at all, but I wanted to go. So I decided that she will come with me and it will be okay. And it was funny because we had a few meetings in Geneva. Also, we came from, I came with Anne and works with me and she's the one who takes care of the marketing and uh, taking care of the showroom and the client. And we had a few meetings and I never told anyone that I'm coming with a baby. I sat down in a meeting and it just arrived with a stroller. And at the beginning, I mean, sometimes they'd look at me like, oh, what, what are you doing? I mean, who are you and why are you with a stroller? But like sometimes it, it was a great icebreaker and she was smiling and it, she was sweet. And we started the conversation about it. And actually we went to a, one meeting that was really hard. And I remember that before I flew, my father told me, you will see, she will help you at the end. Because I told him, I hope we will manage. And we went to a really hard meeting. I mean, the meeting started like they were very stiff. And then she woke up. She was sleeping at the beginning. She woke up. And then all the energy in the room completely changed. And it was fun. So That's so amazing. I thought about it afterwards. And I thought that maybe I would take her even anyway, you know, because it, I mean, it sometimes helps to open. Negotiation tool. Exactly. Bring the baby to work. Exactly. I think as a manager, as a CEO of a startup that's based on women, I mean, all of us, all the people who work in our brand are women. I understand that this is part of it. You know, when you're kind of 30 years old, kind of, I mean, it can be 20 something, it can be 40 something, it doesn't matter. This is part of our life. And I know that sometimes you go out early to pick up the kids, but you open the computer again at eight and as if I remember that we were talking about that it's not a micromanagement and it's based on trust. So it has to be the same. You have things that you need to do. And if you want to go out at two because you need to pick up your kids, open the computer at eight because you choose your schedule and we trust each other that the work should be done. And I also work so much time at night and it's hard. And this combination is hard. I don't want to draw it as a, like, Easy way of living and sure. and it's hard and mm-hmm. you have to give up on other stuff. I mean, I don't go out much. I see less friends. I didn't watch a serial. I don't know for how long, but it's a choice. You know, you need to choose. Sure. And I think that if you understand that it's something that you want, I think that you can do it. But still, we can. Mm. Well, so thank you for just bringing this up because this eases me into an important question because the podcast is at the crossroads between business and mindfulness. I like to understand what people do, especially someone like you as a mother and entrepreneur. What helps you keep you grounded, balanced? Are there rituals and practices or things you do that ease you on a daily basis? Actually, I love to cook. so. I cook instead of like buying outside. I used to cook the food for our family and also for me. I like to take food with me to work. And actually, I think that our best meal, we always say that our best meal is lunch in the studio because every, each of us brings something and we eat together. And I will send you a photo of our meals. I think that we always think oh, that I would we, love have photo, that. we have to have like a photograph it every day and put it in story or something because it's like the best meals ever. Every time there is a salad, every time there is something that is, I mean, it's cooked again by hand and someone took care of it and it's not fatty and it's very, very healthy. So this is one thing. 
I think that I kind of listen to music a lot when I think about it while I'm doing stuff, while I'm cooking, while I'm driving. It's not like a playlist that I have that can be Lizzo, you know, it, it's not necessarily like uh, Leonard Cohen all the time. But, uh, but I think that it's sometimes like a one good song can give you like energy and change your day. And also, to be honest, I think that teaching, I'm doing it twice a week. I'm going to teach. And my phone is off because I'm the lecturer. And in front of me, we have 20, 21 students in a class. And I can't answer. And I don't know how many times, how many people do it for and how many times a week. But to close your phone for eight hours in a week, it, it's not much. But it's, during the day, it's, it's a long time. And I'm there and I'm listening and I'm enjoy kind of work and think without any relationship to business-wise. It just needs to be creative. It doesn't need to stand in any standards regarding to the real world. So it's kind of a bubble that's related to design and I love it and I really enjoy it and it's clean my mind and it keeps me up to date all the time. I really feel that it keeps you young because I have to be, you know, to know what's going on if I'm teaching the next generation that needs to be like the new start. So <laughs> I have to know what's going on. So I think maybe those are the things that I'm mm. trying to practice Not crochet then? Not yet. I, that's what, what I'm going to do when I'll be old. Okay, For sure. sure. That's what I really want to, but most of the time at night I'm or working or just falling asleep on the computer. That feels all right. I, I completely see that. So here now are a few closing questions that I love to ask all of my guests. So the first one is, what's your favorite word? But think of it as a word that you could live with, like tattoo on yourself. I don't know if I would tattoo it on myself, but the word that I really love is tentative. First, I really love to say it. I think it's really fun to say tentative. (laughs) It has a nice sound. I love that you can say it, I mean, in any kind of language. I mean, in Hebrew and in English, it's Latin. So it kind of, so in Hebrew, it's tentative. And in English, it's tentative. So it's the same. I don't know if it has like a cosmic meaning, but I think that when I think about it, maybe it means that not everything is closed. You know what I mean? There is always an option. And I love it when there is always an option. Very inspiring. Thank you. <laughs> What does connection mean to you? Actually, tactile is the meaning of textile is its combination of knots. This is the meaning of textile. It's kind of combination of connections. If you will check on what textile means, this is what it means. So I think maybe the first thing that I have in mind. But I can may, maybe I'm standing here like alone in front of you, but I can tell you that I have like the best team ever. And I couldn't do anything without them. And maybe I am the face of IOTA and I understand that, but they really, they are a huge part of it. And I'm not deserved to receive, I mean, all the prizes uh, or all the credit to myself. They are completely there. So if I'm thinking about IOTA, maybe that's the, my main connection. <laughs> It's the key connection that we have. Mm. And if I'm thinking about my life, so I think that I chose like really good partner. <laughs> I chose like a really good friends and they are partner too. And my family, I mean, 
I think that I surrounded myself with very reliable and connections that we were talking about the place that you can lay down or I don't know rest so rest. I think that feel supported yeah exactly so I feel very supported with the connection that I have next to me and I think it helps to fulfill your dreams otherwise I don't know how you can you know lean on and you we need to lean on during the way absolutely thank you Now, this one is very hard, just warning you. <laughs> What song best represents you? Uh, wow. I'm thinking, I had an answer. I know, but I'm going to think about it a, a bit more and then I'm getting back to you. Sure. Because just so you know, I've created a playlist with the answer uh, for all of my guests. Okay. So I'd love to add yours. Oh, to sure. The yeah, I will. I will. I will It's, look for it. I had, I, I don't know where I wrote it down some, sometimes, but I did. But I, I'm going <laughs> to think about it again. What is a secret superpower that you have? I know I'm actually doing 20,000 things in a minute. I'm like multitask for sure, because I, that's, that's something that I know. I don't know how do I do so many things just in, during daytime. And that's what actually everyone say about me. So I guess this is it. <laughs> Maybe when I think about it, is, this is not the superpower. The superpower is to manage our time. Because do everything, do many, many things together means that I knew how to manage my time, I think. So maybe this is it. That sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> What is a favorite book that you can share with us? I can think about a book in Hebrew. It's a book that I read. It's actually about, I will send you, I mean, the name in English. and Sure. Uh, What's it called in Hebrew? Beit Gidul. Beit, it's like house. Gidul, it's like, but I don't know if it's the, if it's the right way to pronounce it in English, but sure. uh, it's like growing up, but it has double meaning. So I'll send it to you exactly the, the cover. And it talks about like a girl who grew up and uh, with about connections. It's a great story. I really remember and affected me. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll get it. I'll wait for you to send me the link. I will. I will. If you can imagine that you can step into a future version of yourself, what do you think is the most important advice that you, present day you, need to hear from future you? If I need to choose one, it's a cliche, but I guess that maybe cliches works. So it's okay, but do whatever that you find interesting. I mean, when I wanted to start industrial design, I remember, I remember that my father told me like, what are you doing? I mean, why? Why do you go to study industrial design? What are you going to work in? I mean, especially when it was like 15 years, even when I started, it was like 16 years ago. I mean, he didn't know nothing about this industry. And I said, I don't know, that's what I want because I find it interesting. I didn't know what I'm going to do with it. I didn't know how it will be, but I felt that I'm interested in learning it. And a few years ago, I remember that he told me that, that he, he's so happy that I went to study what I liked and I didn't listen to anyone because now he sees the way that I live and proud of me, but is proud of the way what I built out of it because I find it interesting. It's fascinating me and I'm 
I'm really, I'm happy to wake up every day to do what I do. And it's, and we spent such a long time in our work. I mean, get more than we are at home, more than we are spending time with the people, with the people that we love. And this is what I want to do. I mean, I don't want to do anything else. And, and also when afterwards, when I went to study patisserie, he said, you just finished your study now, four years of industrial design and you go to study a patisserie for a year. I mean, what are you going to do with everything? And I think that follow what you're interested in and know that you don't know what's going to be out of it. It's okay. Maybe, maybe even if I think about it, not knowing what would be the end of things. Maybe that would be the best advice if I think mm. about it. Because we don't need to know what's going to be the end of things. Because otherwise, we won't choose it. We won't make the right decisions, I guess. Because if it's open, sure, and become many, many things. So mm. it's good not to know what you will be at the end. I didn't know what I want to be since I was a kid. Because you live your life and things develop. So. I think it's it's okay not to have that one dream since you were a kid. That that's what that's something that I always tell to my students. I two things: one, don't it it the best products become create become when you don't know how they're gonna look like at the end because <laughs> they have a place to develop. I mean, there is space there for them to develop, and at the same time, you are not just what you are. When you are coming to study, uh, in, as you are when you are 30, I started to learn patisserie after I finished school because I developed a new thing. And my mom or my father, they didn't cook and they are not the best cook that I met at all. And, uh, uh, and it's something that I discovered by myself. So I think that when they are coming, sometimes they say like, I'm 30 years old and this is who I am. And I think that it doesn't mean that this is who you are. And I think that you have time to discover many things that you like and to get to know things that you never thought that you like and maybe you will like so and you will enjoy. So I think that's uh, kind of same as let's not know what will be the end of the road before mm. started. That's awesome. Thanks so much for sharing that. And this brings me to our last and closing question. What brings you happiness? Ah, many things. Drinking water while I'm very thirsty makes me happy. You know, it's it's like, I'm so happy. Uh, Exactly. Wow, it can be a great song. It can be um, um, my daughter. It can be a good meal. It can be a good conversation with a friend or with my husband. It can be a, a good class that I did. It can be, I don't know, a great movie. It, it can be to hear my one of my kids say something that I'm, makes me funny or that I, I inspired with. It can be a great trip. I think that uh, I'm very easily getting, <laughs> being happy. <laughs> That's what I love with this question. I think that it also connects us to all the tiny things that actually brings us happiness. And generally, it's not the big things. It's, yeah. it's the little things. Exactly. Mm. You're right. Tal, thank you so much for participating, for saying yes to this interview. It's been such a joy to talk to you. And I, I could have probably asked you a bunch more questions. But <laughs> I want to be mindful of your time. Can I just ask you before we go, where can people discover your range? Are you doing any shows presenting your collection this year somewhere? Otherwise, I'll put all of the links in the episode show notes. 
we are still planning for the next uh, uh, half of the year, next year. But uh, for now, mainly the show is in Israel and we work mainly in Israel. Um, our website and social media is working very good and we are there all the time. And I promise that if you will follow us on those Instagram or on our website, you will see our next adventures. That's wonderful. <laughs> On this following year. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Have a wonderful rest of the day and hopefully we'll get to see each other again sometime soon. Yeah, I'm planning to come to Geneva again. So I'll be in touch. <laughs> Fantastic. Wonderful. <laughs> thank you so much. I enjoyed it very much. Oh, good. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. So, friends and listeners, Thanks again for joining me today. If you'd like to hear more, you can subscribe to the show on the platform of your choice. If you'd like to connect, you can get in touch with me at Anvi on Twitter, Anne Mulethaler on LinkedIn, or on Instagram at underscore out of the clouds, where I also share daily musings about mindfulness. You can also find all of the episodes of the podcast and much more on my website anvmilitada.com if you don't know how to spell it it's also going to be in the show notes if you would like to get regular news directly delivered to your inbox I invite you to sign up to my monthly newsletter so that's it for this episode thank you so much for listening to Out of the Clouds I hope that you will join me again next time and until then Be well, be safe, and take care.